The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. We are game day, game six, Stanley Cup final. And we will get into the final. We will get into the potential for your prediction to come right. But we got a bunch of other stuff to talk about first. Um, there's news on Barry Trotz. There's some postseason awards. A look at what the L.A. Kings have uh, to do this year. Um, there's, gosh, there's an Islanders prospect to not quite single-handedly put them into the Memorial Cup. And a where are they now? Where do we want to jump in? Uh, let's see. Well, we did have, since we're not going to start with the, the cup final, let's go to, let's get the awards out of the way. Just they're, they're lingering and the whole way they handled it this year still kind of sits a foul in my gut. I don't like it. If you're going to have an award show, do all the awards. This, we're going to decide which awards are worthy of an award show and which ones are just going to get announced during this. Yeah. And, I and honestly, for that reason, I didn't watch the award show. I didn't either. The only reason like, why I know that who won the Norris is because they made a big deal about it after game three or, four, or before game three or four or whatever it was. Um. So Makar won. Makar won the uh, Norris. All hail Kale. Um. Not huge. I don't know because or not a good, huge surprise. Well, he was. Obviously, the three can the, the three finalists are all offensively and defensively gifted. And my respect for Makara's defense has grown enormously in this postseason. When he first hit the NHL fresh out of college, he was reasonable defensively. Now he looks really good across the ice. He's making – clearly he's learning from his experience. He's – and I know I say that and it sounds terrible, but I don't mean it that way. When we've talked about the, the, the 200 games window roughly for an for a defenseman coming into the league, he's accelerated, he's accelerated that curve. And – the, the good ones do. I mean, you look at Adam Fox. Oh, and by the way, I know I said it pre-show. I'm going to say it here real quick. The last two Norris Trophy winners, both coming out of the Northeast, one from Hockey East, one from ECAC, that being Adam Fox from Harvard. So uh, you're saying that you need to, and now in order to win a Norris, you have to play some college hockey in Massachusetts? I can live with that. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> I mean, and apparently you have the entire breadth of the state to play in, too, because, you know, Amherst is practically New York. And. Uh, yeah, well, Harvard couldn't be any closer to Boston unless they actually moved Harvard into Boston. <laughs> but then, uh, uh, no, just it, he has accelerated the curve and and. Because, yes, when he first came in, he was more offensively gifted than he was, or at least from what I saw at the NHL level, he was more offensively gifted than he was defensively gifted. Clearly, he's, his offense hasn't waned, which is even more remarkable. I mean, 
all by itself, a 28 goal season from any player is pretty impressive in 77 games. But when you add in that 58 uh, assists for 90 or for 86 points and the fact that he's playing responsible or more than responsible defense. Yeah, that's pretty that's pretty rarefied air. I'll be honest. I did think it was going to go to Yossi. He had the most points of any defenseman. Uh, I I thought it probably should have gone to Yossi, but Yossi plays in a smaller market. And is, Colorado, is Colorado really? I mean, is Colorado really that much bigger of a market than? Well, Nashville? it's also playoffs versus non-playoff team. Uh, 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 the awards do not take into account the playoffs, or so they. No, no, no. They don't take account playing in the playoffs. Whether uh, your team gets into the playoffs influences a lot of voters. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I can. Um, and Nashville, Nashville as a Sun Belt team, even though it's really not that much further south than uh, than Denver, um, they get short shaft. Plus, let's face it, Colorado was the best of the West pretty much all year. And you only had to you only had to turn on your TV or pick up your uh, phone to find a Kale McCarr highlight somewhere. Probably on eight plat, probably from eight or nine different sources. Yeah, I know that it's very hard to find somewhere that isn't talking about Mr. McCarr. That said, I I think that Roman Yossi probably deserved it slightly more. And um, don't don't want to don't want to forget Hedman. But that said, anyone who thinks that they couldn't that their team shouldn't make a place for any of the three if so if a roster hole becomes available is completely out of their minds. Well, yes, <laughs> agreed. Um, who else won a war? I mean, did was it the Matthews? usual? Was it Austin was Matthews it? picked up the Hart and the Lindsay? Um, not a big, big surprise there. Um, I'm amazed that Connor, neither Connor McDavid nor um, Leon Dreisaitl or even Patrick Kane won, won one of them. But, I mean, Matthews had a pretty – had a really, really good season. Um, it's difficult – I was going to say, it's difficult to argue with the offensive output – that he well, had when you're when you're playing for an original six team and you are the first 60 goal scorer. It, it, it does make it a little bit hard to overlook you. Yes, I, I can certainly agree with that. Uh, <clears throat> and possibly the most obvious of the non technically points based awards even more so than the Selkie, which we'll get into in a moment. Igor. 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 I mean, was it really a... That was a formality. I was going to say, was that really a difficult... I was trying to find a nice way. Yeah, there's... I don't think it was like a competition. Like, Norris Trophy this year was clearly... Very competitive. Yes. Vesna, I thought, was pretty much locked down. 
the Vesna was the Vesna may have actually been locked up before Christmas, maybe. There were some challenges that came and went very quickly. I mean, it, it there one were some point, guys who had amazing runs, but like yes, Saros at one point was looking really good. Villahuso was looking really strong. And, you know, there were guys that came up and challenged for a brief few weeks, but then fell back to earth. And yeah, I mean, Shosturkin had a season. Yes, he was legit. Uh, he was legitimately the best goaltender the whole season. If he had a full bad week, I'm not even sure when it was. Um, and a guy who we both really, really like, and <clears throat> I'm disappointed is wearing the wrong uniform, um, picked up the Calder. And surprise, surprise, it did not go to the forward with the most points this year. It I know. Went to Cider. I know who would. How do you? I, I, what it, offensive? It wasn't. I mean, he did have the most assists for any rookie. Um, but this is the first time. I mean, this has got to be the first time a uh, defenseman has won it in several years. I do love on. I. I I'm. I'm looking at. I was looking this up on on and CBS is the first link that comes up and says Calder trophy, more tease cider. Okay. Can we at least spell the kid's name? Right. Okay. (laughs) It was, it was surprising to me when I saw it because that's the one, that's the one award that I really checked up on. Igor, I assume was going to get it. The heart trophy. It was like, okay, is it McDavid or Matthews? I just, there was not a whole lot of excitement there for the awards for me, but I did want to see who was going to win the Calder, and it was nice to see that Moritz got the award. It was like, okay, sure. they actually recognized that being the number one points getter isn't everything. Yeah, I mean, Kel McCarr won it two years ago. Um, before that, you have to go back to what is that? Ekblad in fifteen. Yes. If, if I'm not mistaken, yes, Ekblad. Uh, yeah, Ekblad, and then... Wow, then, then it's another five years before that uh, with Tyler Myers. I always forget he won Rookie of the Year. He looked great in his rookie year. Um, yes, but... One of those guys who I who has me screaming every single time a high a defenseman has taken high that they need to have a on ice at, at, at they need to have an on ice mentor it might be a defenseman's coach behind the bench it might be a elder statesman on the ice mm-hmm. um but I genuinely, firmly, 150% believe and will die on this hill. The quickest way to screw up a promising young defenseman is not to give them a mentor that they can relate to who can break down the game in very, uh, very quickly, very simply, and get it into the guy's head with minimal resistance. (sighs) 
Um, but Cider, yeah, no no 13th, complaints on this award. 13th defenseman to win the Calder and, and the third in the past eight seasons. And as you said, Makar and Ekblad. He got 170 of the 195 ballots, 171st place votes on the 195 ballots cast. The one thing I did think was that his teammate was going to hurt him. Lucas Raymond actually finished fourth in the voting. Cider beat out Trevor Zegers, uh, Mr. Bunting. And fifth on that list was uh, some kid named Swayman. Swayman, of course, also picked up. Uh, he also picked up uh, what was it? Uh, the All Rookie Team, yep. and Second Team All Star, which it really isn't surprising on the first one. He really did have a solid season after that first couple of weeks and the nonsense with bringing Tuka Rask back. Um, I think that I, I think that whole bringing Tuka thing. Even though it was only three or four games, I think that it kind of messed things up a little bit, just mentally, for, I think for, it, for a brief period. And I think it did it to both goalies. Yes, I'm not saying just swimming, because that was a, that was my argument back then. Was that why would you bring him back now? You you went and signed Omar for five million. You clearly want him to be the number one. You're going to move Swayman into the backup position, and then to bring this kid back. So what? You're going to send Swayman back down? What's that going to do to him mentally? You can't carry three goaltenders. You know, we went through all that. So I just I think it messed things up a little bit, and it took them a little bit of time to kind of shift back in. Absolutely. Uh... But. Yeah, it was nice. Congratulations with the all-rookie team. Um, also picking up an award or, uh, or high awards votes, uh, McAvoy finished fourth in voting for the Norris, which I'm a little surprised by. Not terribly. Um, not exactly where I would go, but hey. Um, I did actually see a tweet where there were people who who voted who managed to not have Bergeron on their Selkie ballot and not have um oh god it was and they had they didn't have Shesterkin on their on their Vesna ballot and quite frankly those people just need to not vote somebody had did not have Bergeron as their Selkie. Uh, no, not as their number one. Not, not on the ballot at all? On the ballot. Okay, so what hockey were they watching? What criteria for winning the award were they using is my question. I really don't have an answer because – by any criteria, you look at the season that Bergeron had. How do you not give him some kind of vote? I mean, logically, this award should have been the most. It should have probably been even more lopsided than it was. Bergeron um, got 160 first place votes, which effectively by itself sealed the deal. There were 
21 first place votes for Elias Lindholm. 10 for Alexander Barkov. One for Ryan O'Reilly. Okay. Three for Anze Kopitar, who finished sixth. Uh, And then that's Uh, all the first place vote getters. Uh, yes, I was going to say Sorelli actually got more points total. In the yes, he had fifth. 28 votes for both second and fifth, and then 19 for third and 22 for fourth, and which I, I'm okay with. I didn't realize – I am I like Anthony Sorelli. I'm not a huge Anthony Sorelli fan, but what I've seen of him in these playoffs – I can understand where I can understand where people get their impressions of. I mean, he's he's a really solid player. Yeah, I'm a huge Elias Lindholm fan. I mean, Carolina. Oops, sorry, you traded him. Yeah, that was not the best trade ever made. Um, I I, I really like Elias Lindholm. I mean, I did when he was with Carolina. I didn't understand the move by Carolina. I don't know what they were thinking, but you know. I, th- I think that the players were unhappy. I think that's really it. Um, some yeah. of the names on this list surprise me to no end. And I genuinely think that some of the voters put names on here just to make sure that they have something to talk about later in the year. I mean, I think more of Mitch Marner's game than a lot of people. I'm still not giving him any votes for the Norris, not in the top five, and yet he's still well. He wouldn't get a, 24 points. He wouldn't get a Norris. I mean, it's. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, long, wait a minute. Did he get? Now see, Mitch Mar- Mitch Marner at 16. I, I think that he's more deserving than Austin Matthews at 10. And maybe I'm not watching enough Toronto hockey, but is Austin Matthews that good at defensive? I don't see it. Austin Matthews's defense is he doesn't grind it out. He's simply really good at taking away passing space. Um, okay. And he will go in and swipe a swipe a puck pretty quickly, like along the boards or near the boards and keep moving. He's not the type to set a pick or just dig in his skates and muck for the puck along the boards or even or even to, you know, drop and block a shot uh, regularly. But he does. He does. He does have a defensive presence. I have one more question about this, and then I I won't bring up anything else. We'll be we can be done if you want, but I have to ask this: <clears throat> Is Austin Matthews a better defensive forward than the guy at number twelve? Absolutely not. He's not even better than the guy at number eleven, or the guy. Uh, so how does Brad Marchand finish? 12? I would argue that he's not better than the guy at number twenty-three. And I would argue that he's not better than the guy who came in tied for 27th in the second uh, the second name listed there. Ah, Mr. Kadri, yes. Um, and I think that people are doing themselves a great disservice 
by overlooking Bo Horvat and JG Pajot because their teams were in general garbage this year. I'm still con- I'm still confused as to how Evan Rodriguez gets one vote, but you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm maybe his dad was allowed to vote. I don't know. Um, I mean, the fact that Brad Marchand got 53 points with Bergeron getting nearly 1,800 of them <laughs> is pretty awesome, honestly. No, Brad, no. See, Brad got But Brad's reputation probably keeps him from getting 200 points a year. Because legitimately, you can make a very strong argument, despite the fact that he really doesn't take many face-offs, that you could vote Patrice Bergeron number one and on your same ballot put Brad Marsh at number two or number three. I just don't understand. It, it, yes, I understand that Brad doesn't take faceoffs. I understand he's a winger, and that was the whole argument with Stone a couple of years ago, was that Stone wasn't going to win it because he's not a center. But the amount of time he spends on his defensive game and the effect that he has on the ice, yes, he's a character. Yes, he's had issues uh, with suspension which I don't understand how that plays into whether he's a good defensive hockey player or not. Not in reality, but in the, but to put somebody like Austin Matthews ahead of him is just to me. Ridiculous. This is just to me. Defensible. Slightly insulting and indefensible. Yes. As I said, I would put, I mean, I think hands down JT Miller is a better defensive forward than, Austin uh, then, then Austin Matthews. Yes, I will so say that I, I will say that I think that JG Pajot is a better defensive forward than Austin Matthews. I completely agree with that. And Nazem Kadri is a better defensive forward. Yeah, when, that's not even a conversation. He definitely is. <laughs> For that matter, if you really want to come down to it, um, I'm not even 100% sure that Austin Matthews is the best defensive center on his team. I think it's that guy who used to be in New York. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. He didn't get any votes. Who admittedly disappears like a certain uh, player traded to Boston uh, <laughs> who shall remain nameless because uh, we don't want to spend the entire show with Mike foaming at the mouth. Okay, fair enough. I was just, yeah, um, I just, I just curious because Brad at twelve just struck me as a little bit. Oof. It's a, it's a very interesting thing. Um, and yes, the votes do cannibalize themselves uh, for teammates. But you and I were talking just before we hit the record button about the growth of the game, and this is a Joe Reedy article from uh, SF Gate. The article is talking about, you know, the NHL is growing with uh, its first year on ESPN and TNT. This despite the fact that there's quite a few um, subpar members of broadcast teams uh, in this postseason. Maybe it's first year. Maybe they're just working. It's been a while since they've had the NHL contract. And back then they had a couple decades. Yeah. They had Gary Thorne and Bill Clement, who I absolutely loved together in the booth. They were they were hockey gold. Um, you had Barry Melrose, who's still around, but Barry back then was a little bit better. I think Barry's kind of lost some of the luster, but he's still good. 
But here's uh, all of the stats in this article, and there are there's a couple of them without it without it being just a wall of percent signs and um and analytic gobbledygook. Yep. Most new fans are likely within this coveted 18 to 49 demographic too, since nearly 40% of NHL fans are under 50. What does that mean? That means that more than 60% of NHL fans are over 50. This in a country, at least in the U.S., because we'll, well, Canada, I don't remember their mean age, but the average U.S. age earlier this year was 38 years old. That means that the NHL, for multiple reasons, is a very gray league, like in terms of its fan base. And I mean, I suppose that explains all of the men's health products that you see advertised during the shows and especially during the news shows during the week on the NHL network. But. Oh, wait, you mean all those Komen products to color your hair? Oh, those and the. the other and the ones advertised by former NHL uh, NFL players about uh, and how amazing their bodies look these days. Mm. Yeah, those yes. ones. Yeah, I know. Okay, yes, those. Okay, I wasn't but, sure if that's where you were going or not, but yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, for me, I think the simple simple solution to grabbing those younger fans. And it's not necessarily an easy one, and it wouldn't be necessarily a popular one with ownership, but it's how the movie, a lot of the movie companies make their money. Um, you and I know that most of the major uh, comic book franchises, uh, movies over the last decade and a half have been rated PG-13 for the spe- specific purpose of bringing in young, young fans. Yeah, that was the whole thing with uh, and it's worked great yeah. for them. I mean, the revenue for some of these movies is absolutely bonkers. Like feed a small country, bonkers. Um, yeah, even I even think, the bad ones. Yeah. <laughs> I think okay. that the solution for the next round of arenas, mm-hmm. more seats, and lower ticket prices. Get oh oh no! Lower. See see now you're talking blasphemy. You, you lower ticket prices. If you have twenty eight percent more seats, you can charge fifteen percent less tickets for the tickets and still make more money. Blasphemy! And How guess dare what? You? Guess what? Eric. If you bring it, if if you're <laughs> if the two buddies who are fifty year uh, or fifty eight year old software engineers instead of coming alone and just drinking enough beer to barely stumble out of the arena. Um, instead they come with their significant others and the three kids they have between them, those guys who make pretty good money, Mm -hmm. probably going to buy the kids their drinks and their popcorn and maybe a couple of t-shirts and maybe a couple of jerseys uh, and the kids who are going to have a lot of fun playing with the other kids there, just like they do in the AHL arenas, just like they do in the ECHL arenas, they're probably going to talk about going back a lot, even if they're more enjoying the experience than the game. 
But hey, I I've been I've been saying that increasing the quantity in the in, if you have a hundred ticket if you have a hundred people come in and they pay a hundred dollars a ticket, you made you get ten thousand dollars if you have hundred and you know two hundred people coming in at seventy five a ticket. It, You're still making more, way more money. Yes, the more people you bring in. Uh, Furthermore, since a lot of the arena owners own the teams, or and vice versa, um, when you're selling, when you're not having your 41 home dates per year, you're getting more gate on concert tickets and whatever other events are taking place in your arena. And if you ask Britney Spears or Halsey or whoever else is coming to town to perform in your arena, mm-hmm. do they want to perform in a 17,000 seat arena or a 28,000 seat arena? Setup is pretty much the same effort for both. One of them is going to rake in more money than the other. The other thing, do more, like, we ta- we've talked about this literally forever, literally forever, since well before the podcast when the two of us were blogging, and they've done a better job of it in the past four or five years. Let the players show some personality. Yes. Well, that's partially what this article is about. Is it, yes. Is that they're they're doing the more personal? They're, they're they're showing the more personal side, and that's what is bringing the people. In. I don't. And they and now they're on TikTok, and and they have a a, an, a content agreement with TikTok. I, okay, yes. I guess you're reaching younger viewers. I mean, the thing to me in this article was that 37% of hockey fans are women, female. Yep. 26% growth in the last six years in that demographic. Um, We have fledgling women's leagues who could certainly be sort of boots on the ground, kind of like, and, and I keep going back to the WNBA and the NBA supports that league. That league is growing and it is gaining in popularity, whether people want to admit it or not, and whether they like the product or not. I've watched Connecticut sun games. They've got M two, three MVP candidate players on that team. They are fun to watch. If you like basketball, I mean, they are fun to watch. They have been, in the playoffs the last few years, they're not bottom dwellers. It, it and they're growing the game. They've been around 25 years now. You can't say that they're fledgling anymore. The NHL, I think, needs to somehow help out these the these two women's leagues, the the PWHPA, Professional Women's Hockey Players Association. Yes, and <laughs> the the P the PHF. PHF. Thank you. It, they, and they they need to get better names too. I think it, I'm fine either. with PHF. The other one needs to. <laughs> but they this is the 37 percent. One third of hockey fans are women. One third, and it's grown 26 percent in in the last six years. You can boost those numbers. You can 
use I'm all for yes, we need to get fans younger. I get that, but there's also another whole demographic that is growing that you can certainly also use to build that fan base. And I mean, I think one of the other, well, there's a lot of ways that you could arrange things to make it complimentary, including having double headers during the regular seasons, you know, lead in with the lead in with the Boston pride and Boston Bruins play afterwards. Um, You've got uh, you've got that you've got same thing out in Minnesota and Toronto. You can do uh, you could do that with, and you're going to expose more fans. But I think the NHL's I know the NHL's marketing and idea of what marketing successful marketing looks like. It really, it really has lagged way behind. I think part of that is. Marketing to Canada and marketing to the U.S. are not the same thing. For that matter, I, I'm not 100% sure that marketing to <clears throat> hockey fans in the Northeast is the same as marketing to hockey fans throughout, you know, the mid uh, throughout, you know, the middle of the country, the Southeast and the Pacific, uh, the Pacific area. Well, I mean, just I mean, just from from just natural the the area i mean you market to to a hockey fan in the northeast you market to a hockey fan in dallas you've got weather difference you got they they probably they're not going to games in here in the northeast we're going to games wrapped in jackets and and hats and coats and scarves does it get that it might sometimes in dallas but it's no. not a, a, a you know everyday winter thing. So would it do to show snowy, wintry you know scenes in in adverts in Dallas? It, it's not going to mean anything to them. Um, I mean Tampa. The, the, when I was in Florida as a kid, I got to go swimming on Christmas Day in the ocean, and I loved it. Yeah, they're not going swimming That's, unless you're unless you're part you're not, of the polar bear club. <laughs> yeah, you're not doing that in Boston or New York or even even in Seattle. <laughs> yeah, it's just no. not going to happen. Um, but I think it's more than that. I think that the NHL has to embrace the idea that there's more than two or three stupid uh, more than two or three players worth advertising or working into the advertising in the league. I think. You need to build your advertising around the players in each division and put the bulk of the commercials for that area, the bulk of the billboards and whatever ads show up in people's Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok uh, with that regional focus because if I'm in Carolina – I care way less about Brad Marchand than I do about Steven Stamkos and Mika Zibanejad or, um, you know, other players in my division. Same with the Pacific. Do you really, really, really think that the average hockey fan who grew up in L.A. loving the Kings 
cares more about Evgeny Malkin than he does whoever the most annoying player to them is on the Ducks? No. Or on the Sharks? No. No. That, and that's how you have to do it. And the other thing, the well, now and see, now you're talking about going back to there's that R word again, rivalries. Well, that's the other thing, the rivalries, and they need to bring those back. I'm sorry. The, the big thing that the NHL needs to do is something that it's honestly a thing that they probably should hire some ex. WWE talent and or AEW or TNA talent and embrace the heels. Embrace the guys who everyone hates. The Brad Marchands, the Nazem Kadri's, the Evander Kane's, because people will show up to be mad at players. Uh, people will yeah. turn on the TV to boo players. People turn on the TV to scream at their TVs. People turn on the TV to get frustrated uh, sometimes in a small case in small in, in small cases or throw things at the TV hopefully not things that are going to break the TV but you know socks I mean, or look, at the, look at the lean years the bad years after the uh Islanders dynasty where mm-hmm. dozens of fans would show up with paper bags over their heads every game oh yeah that, that rage watching that angry em- engagement is still engagement. It's still passion. It's still excitement. It still brings people to the arena. New Orleans, the New Orleans Saints, as they were known back when they were terrible, the New Orleans Saints, and people still came to the games with, again, bags over their heads. Cleveland Browns. Eyes cut out. Sitting in the stands, but they still showed up for the game. Yeah, the Cleveland Browns were a terrible team forever, ever, forever. And people and they still, still just... sold out. The uh, the dog pound was still the loudest, rowdiest NFL fan section Man, in the league. Black hole, but okay. <laughs> Sorry, Raider fan. <laughs> but again, there's another example. Raiders have been bad up until the last few years when they started to improve. Raiders have been bad for a couple of decades, give or take a a, a blip. And that black hole, again, like the dog pound, still ever present. Fans will be loyal fans and will support you till the you need to build on that. So, yes, embrace the heel. I like that idea. I hadn't thought of that. Like, you look at uh, you look at what AEW has done, All Elite Wrestling, in the last four years since they launched. They went from an organization nobody heard of to Chris Jericho's super heel and the shtickiest super heel right now. Um, Sammy Guevara, heel, one of the most one of the best athletes in, in their, uh, in their organization. Um, even what the WWE is doing with Roman Reigns, he's absolutely a monster heel. He is still the biggest star in the business at the moment. 
let it happen. Let people be a little. Let it. Let it all out. Well, if the NHL's research is to be believed, Heidi Browning, the the senior executive vice president, top marketing officer, said that league research has found that eighty percent of the users on its digital channels are Gen Z and Millennial. Well, that's not surprising when you're talking about TikTok. I mean, TikTok is basically no. you're old on TikTok if you're over the age of twenty-two. She said all digital channels, so I'm assuming that includes. If you're looking, those digital channels are Twitch, YouTube, oh. um, TikTok are the three streaming services. Okay, so and t- yeah, they're so traditional like I don't know Facebook, Instagram, those don't count anymore. They're already out of date. Well, Instagram has always had a fairly small pr- footprint. When you look at the demographics there, um, it you can get big engagement, like high percentage of engagement. But if you actually looking for headcount and users, Instagram never been big. Um, it's not. It's just not. It's not the right medium. Same with Snap. Like Snapchat, I use it for short videos, watching. I never post anything. They, ever have they have they ever got past and and I know that this is terrible but have because I literally had Snapchat on my phone for like twenty minutes and then I was like no I'm done with this have they ever got past their stigma of being I don't know how to say this nicely a a hookup thing or well, in some way no, uh it's 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 not as much about that. There's a lot of video series that you might have seen on other platforms in the past, like Ridiculousness has a has a short has a shortened version of their shows on the on the platform and there's a variety of different videos, but isn't Ridiculousness just a collection of Snapchat videos? <laughs> there's there's an argument to be made for that, um, okay. although it does predate Snap by a few years. Yeah, I never Rob really Dietrich watched it. And, uh, and Chanel West Coast and the rest have been there forever. I just, uh, I, where else? Where else? Where else? Just a uh, lot of the game. Embrace the heel. Bigger yes. arenas, smaller tickets. Smaller ticket prices. Yeah. Um. And, but legitimately, embracing the heel is probably the fast. Well, embrace the heel. Regional advertising, and by regional I mean divisional advertising. Um, rivalries, which we've been screaming about for twenty-five years. Um. And uh, getting. The whole human side of things, yeah, it's it's not complicated. It's not. You just have to understand that people want people want to connect with people, not with brands. That's it. That's the secret sauce. I can't I can't disagree with that. So, uh, so L. A. Kings. Gavin Lee has a off-season checklist for them over at Pro Hockey Rumors. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's a pretty simple set of marching orders. And I want I'm, I love this article for the fact that it mentions a player I had literally not heard of before the Kings hit the playoffs, but whose name probably came up more than anyone else's on the Kings during broadcasts. And that's Sean uh, Dersey. Uh, he's 23 year old out of, mm-hmm. um, he was drafted by Toronto for, and they let him go for some reason, played for the Owen sound attack. He had, this was, this was actually his rookie season. Came yeah. in, played 64 games in the regular season, 27 points, definitely solid. Not huge, huge minutes, averaging 1936, uh, but definitely, he definitely wasn't uh, press box material. Um, and then in the playoffs, he's just there. Every time there was a play to be made, he was there. He jumped up to 2130 of ice time. Uh, in seven games, he had 15 blocks, 10 hits, uh, a couple of takeaways. Um, and in a losing effort, he still managed to have a half point per game performance. Um, he was, as I said, he was probably the player's name you heard the most uh, throughout that uh, seven game series. Well, unfortunately, they didn't have Drew the name. I was going to say they wouldn't they didn't have the name you would have heard most. So they had to find other way, other players. And Sean Dersey stepped up. And you don't have to look much further than the fact that he's a defenseman as to why Toronto let him go. I, Toronto, I does, Toronto does not know how to draft, develop, recognize useful. Defense. No, they draft. They draft defensemen. He was a second. He was second round draft pick. They can draft defensemen. They just don't know how to develop them, or so they trade them away for more offense. Well, if a defenseman doesn't isn't projected to score at least ten goals a season, there they literally have no idea why they why anyone should keep them. But I don't have a problem with his twenty seven points in in sixty four games. I really don't. Oh no, I don't think anyone should have a problem with his twenty seven points in fifty in sixty four games. As a rookie, he's averaging nineteen and a half minutes a night, and then it steps up to over twenty one minutes a night in the playoffs. I mean, clearly this kid is better than somebody gave him credit for in Toronto. <laughs> and it's not like at 23 or coming into the season, because the season would have started when he was still 22, that he's a late bloomer or anything. He's, you know, hitting the, he hit the NHL about the same time as most college players would. Uh, but the whole, uh, going back to the article. Yeah. It's pretty simple marching orders. Lock up your RFAs, Elias Anderson, Carl Gunderson, or Carl Grunstrom, Brendan Lemieux, meh, Gabriel uh, Velarde, and Mikey Anderson. Mikey Anderson is another name you heard a good bit uh, during the postseason for them. These are kids that all stepped up in the postseason because on, on the L.A., they are either old or yeah, there's there's like not a lot of middle ground. No, I mean, there there's is. a cop. There's a couple, but I don't think there's as many as people want to believe there are as far as, you know, mid-20s, 26, 27, 28. 
you've got older players and then you've got a lot of younger players, Gabe Velarde and, and Alex Ayafalo and Carl Grundstrom. It, they're going to have a good team in a couple of years. It's going to take a, a little bit of development here, but yeah, I could see the locking it down is most important. Now, I might quibble with the writer's uh, definition of big uh, addition, but um, there's been speculation that Jacob Chikrin uh, was linked to the Kings as a perfect fit. Um, and then, uh, and that's with a, that's around the roster that has Anderson and Druzy. Um, Ty, uh, Tobias Bjorn put Jordan Spence uh, are regarded as still growing. And then a couple of guys who are a couple of years away are Helga Granz and Brant Clark. Brant Clark, yeah. Um, obviously, keeping a, a strong defense when you're probably transitioning out of one of the five or six best centers uh, and most consistent players in the league over the last almost two decades with Anze... Anze Kopitar not being particularly young anymore. Um, he's worth doing. Uh, and I don't even remember how much time the he thing has on contract. But the thing is, offensively, I don't think that they have as big of an issue. I mean, yes, Anze Kopitar was huge. Uh, Annually, annually, uh, a selking candidate. As far as being able to put pucks in, you've got kids like Trevor Moore. You've got kids like, uh, like Quentin I said, Byfield. like Ayafalo. I mean, what's that? You've got Quentin Byfield and Arthur Kelly. Quentin Kelly's Byfield. How do you, and, and how do I forget right. about Quentin Byfield? I mean, he's huge, like physically and. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is a kid that is going to be a star. <laughs> I have no doubts. Going to be a star. <laughs> so yes, yeah, sign more to an extension as as part of the plan is key. Yeah, I don't think they can afford to lose Trevor Moore. Not after the his arrival in the in the playoffs this season. Uh, the last the last big area is of course fixed Cal Peterson. Yes, and. Goalies are so uh, – the nice term that comes to mind is dynamic. Uh, the less nice word is mushy. Um, but changeable is probably the best balanced way to describe goaltenders in the NHL uh, or at other leagues because, let's face it, Cal Peterson was not a superstar this year. No, and I fully expected that he was going. I I thought this was going to be his coming out party. To be quite honest, I I knew that Quick is on the, on the back, back the back nine. Yeah, that's probably the back four. And and Cal is is the heir apparent. That's why they were able to. That's why they traded um, the one in Toronto, Campbell. They, yeah, they traded I, Campbell away because they they also felt that Cal Peterson was the next step after Jonathan Quick. And for him to take a step back the way he did is just unexpected. I wasn't so sure about that one. And, you know, as weird as it is to say, 
like in terms of quality start percentage, he wasn't actually Peterson wasn't actually bad this year. Nope. He had a 571 uh quality starts percentage, which is above his league average of 553. Um but not nearly what he had uh, and still he's only 91 games into his NHL career. So writing him off at this point seems a little bit weird to me. Um, oh, I'm not writing him off. I mean, he's still. But when you compare that to a quality start percentage, a career quality start percentage of 620 for Jonathan Quick, mm-hmm. um, I can see where people would have some concerns. But guess what was identical for these two this year? Their quality uh, start percentage. Oh, okay. Both of them were at 571 for the year. Jonathan did, he, he like it says in the article here, it, he rose up when Cal kind of stumbled. Yeah. Not kind of, he did but, stumble. I mean, sure, the, the, the other side of that is that Jonathan Quick had two really bad starts, uh, which for those who don't remember the stat, uh, that's a stat that's a starts with a save percentage below 85. Um, for Cal Peterson, that number was seven in many fewer games. Uh, Cal Peterson played a total of 37 games with 35 of them starts and Jonathan Quick started. Forty forty five. Forty five? No, thirty five starts, eighty forty six starts. Uh forty uh forty six starts, forty six games played. Actually I was looking at the wrong number. Uh the quality that quality starts number I gave was actually uh for the postseason, uh for quick. But um even still Quick ended up with a better save percentage for the year, and that's that's a little worrisome for Peterson because if he wants to hold on to an NHL job, you can't keep having your save percentage slide every year. His first year in the league, 11 games, 924 save percentage. Second year in the league was only eight games, but a 922 save percentage. His third year... Uh, 35 games and a 9-11. And then last year, 37 games and an 8-95. I mean, at that pace, he's going to be at like an 8-80. So does it it make it a little bit more odd that he actually had three shutouts this season and still had I think that shutouts are a vastly overrated stat for goaltenders. Vastly. It's great that you can have the concentration and focus to and maintain it throughout the game. Mm -hmm. But I think that I think that shutouts like goals. uh, I know where you're going with goals against average are much more a team stat, a team stat. I think that that I think that it's. I think I think it's as overrated as three game as three, as like a hat trick for a forward or a defenseman. It's as much a product of what else is going on on the ice and what the other team is doing as it is you. 
Okay. That doesn't mean that there aren't a good percentage of shutouts by goalies where they legitimately stand on their head and should, and you could make a really strong case for giving them first, second, and third stars at the end of the game. But I think that those games are a distinct minority. Um, yeah, 20 quality starts. I mean, everything's going up, but the save percentage is going down. <laughs> it's a, it's a interesting conundrum. I think that, I think Peterson is still their hope as the number one. I think they do need to solidify that and get somebody else in there because yes, unfortunately Jonathan quick is 36 years old and with his back issues and everything else and just wear and tear at this point. Yeah. Yeah. How how many more years is he going to be able to step in and be the uh, savior or whatever term you want to give him when, when Cal stumbles. So yeah, they need to find something. Uh, the Springfield Thunder, uh, Thunderbirds fell to the Chicago Wolves in game five of the Kelder, uh, cup finals. A couple of goalies in that series, um, both with NHL experience. Alex Lyon, uh, is of course, uh, one of them. Alex Lyon and the goalie for the Springfield, uh, for the Springfield franchise, Charlie Lindgren. Might've heard that name before. Yeah, that that Montreal franchise he played for for a little bit. So. For a hot minute, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it it's rough, Springfield. I mean, we're talk, you're going to talk local hockey. It's local. <laughs> um, but but to, to, to fall, and the main reason that I brought it up was just that, it, you know, it's Unfortunately, it's not just the NHL season that's coming to an end. It's like everybody's seasons are coming to an end. Yes, and it's very bad. Very, very bad. I hate the part of the year that comes after the Stanley Cup goes up. Um, The Memorial Cup, as we mentioned earlier in the show or in the opening, uh, begins real soon. And thanks to a... Islanders prospect William DeFore. The Shawinigan Cataracts. Uh, Who doesn't love saying Shawinigan? Um, are going to be playing. Shawinigan. Shawinigan. They were trailing three nothing after first after the first period, yeah. and DeFore had the night of a career natural hat trick. Then scores a fourth goal later. Um, well, it's a, well, see, a hat trick is a product of what's happening on the ice. Oh, wait, we just said that. Anyway. But two goals in 21 seconds is still it, it, it's pretty still impressive. A little, it's still a little impressive. Okay, yeah, I'll give you that. <laughs> and this isn't And this isn't like a first-round pick or a second-round pick. DeFore is a, if I remember right, a fifth-round pick. Um, so I'm I'm curious if this is going to turn into one of those. How did we pass him over four times picks or if it's just a blip on the radar? So he belongs to 
the Islanders, fifth round pick, 2020, 152nd. I don't see the Islanders exactly calling him up. They may give him an invite to development camp, maybe even training camp. Well, but. given that, given how much they were lacking in offense that, this year and how well he did in the queue this year, um, 66 games, he had 56 points. I, I mean, sorry, 56 goals and 60 assists. Yes, as an overager, and that and that makes a difference in juniors. But he's six three two oh four. Uh, won't turn twenty one until next January. Right wing. Um, maybe Sweeney's can swing uh, swing him for a nice return fifth round pick and but bring him also- into bring him into camp in a couple of weeks. So he was MVP of the queue. Yeah. Okay. On the sea or on the sea dogs this year, the next he he finished with 116 points in 66 games. The next closest player was Josh Lawrence, who had 101 points in 68 games, and after that was Ryan Francis, who had 65 points in 54 games. Which again brings us back to there's no D in the Q. Um. Well, yes, we've been saying that for quite a long time now. Ryan Francis uh, is also 20 years old. He'll turn 22. No, he'll turn 21 this December. Um, He's a Calgary prospect, also a fifth round pick. um, 143rd in the 2020 draft. And then Josh Lawrence is 20 years old, undrafted. um, 5'9", 179 pounds. He'll turn. Actually, it looks like he has the same birthday as as yeah. DeFore. Oh, Okay. Yeah, they're both January twenty eighth of o two. Um, he had a really solid season with that. I wonder if anyone will get him signed uh, real soon. Well, apparently Dufour and Aturati are also already signed to the Islanders, so they've got their some of their youth at least in in place. In, in the yes in place in the barn in in the fold. Uh, he's going to get an invite. I just worry that the step up from the queue to the NHL is a big one. And I'm hoping that, you know, I always wish these kids well. I'm hoping that, you know, the flash of brilliance that he's shown in the queue is not uh, just not a quick, over. like did not just a quick lightning strike. Yeah. I mean, it, and the reason why I brought up the, the Calder Cup, I mean, this kid gets him, himself a hat trick. And, and, you know, Alex Lyon was able to get the shutout in game five in the Calder cup. And then you went on your little rant about <laughs> shutouts being, a, I was like, Oh, that kind of defeats the purpose of my argument. Then okay. oh, I think that <laughs> I'm more in, I am more impressed by playoff shutouts than I am regular season ones. Okay. Uh, because particularly by the time you get to game five in a series, the opposition has had a chance to scout you. They are laser focused in on you as a goaltender. Well, look at, where most of the goals are going in on Vasilevsky or were. Yeah. I mean, they clearly 
there has been a, at least a pamphlet written on how to score on on Vazzy. Yes. So, but yeah, he's responded you, well in the last couple of games. He has. And, and we're since gonna... we're on the topic, let's stay on the topic. Oh, okay, cool. Um, since last week, uh, we've had games three, four, and five, or was it just four and five? Three, four, and five. Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Yeah. Game two, I mentioned at the time, I thought was a disgrace. Games three, four, and five. Whatever you think of the officiating, and neither one of us is all that complimentary. Um, <laughs> That's a nice. I think way they've been really good hockey. Like uh, yes, the that, level that, of that, hockey we expect. The hockey has been very entertaining. The, it, it just the the you can see. It's it's amazing the talent you can see these guys. You watch McKinnon and the moves that he's making, and you watch Stamkos still has it, and it makes you wonder about whether you know certain players are are, are you know Kucherov has no goals in these playoffs. It, it's amazing to me these guys are just the. the the level, the breadth of talent that comes out of it. So, yes, the hockey has been thoroughly enjoyable. The officiating, not quite so much. The officiating in the NHL hasn't been good in at least four years. And at times across that four years, it's been less than acceptable. Many of those times featured a since-fired referee but we could do an entire show covering just officiating nonsense but it's not worth it i don't want to be that upset and we've gotten to the point where though game three was expected I mean, after after the after the drubbing that Tampa Bay took in Game Two, Game Three was expected. I knew they were going to go home. I knew the Tampa Bay was going to win, and one of the two games was going to be a wide gap as far as goals go. I mean, I don't know if you can call six two a drubbing like seven nothing, but six two is still a dominant game. Uh, but you knew, I knew it was going to happen. Yep. Game four, back to the formula of game one. Close game, go to overtime. Too many men on the ice. Go in. Too too many men on the ice. John Cooper being passive aggressive about it. As always. (laughs) I love when he interviews. He just seems so out of touch. I'm sorry. It's like, and I'm not accusing him of anything, but just. Personality-wise, when you compare him to some of the more vibrant personalities of the league, it's okay. like someone dosed him with Valium about five minutes after the start of the third period, yes. and he gets to the he gets to the podium at the end, and it's like, oh yeah. No, I'm talking about the in-game interview with Emily Kaplan. <laughs> Those at least have some sign that he has a pulse. Really? Which one? Because so, I, I... He's standing up. See, so he's oh, okay. standing up for those, yeah. Oh, I did see. I Okay. Yeah. yeah. 
but you get to the you get to the post game interviews and it's like yeah i was a little bit disappointed by you know that missed but call that's the way but, he is in game <laughs> <laughs> and that's the way he is in game it doesn't change except that yes he's standing up <laughs> i mean he makes bruce cassidy look like vintage john tortorella <laughs> so game game 5 Colorado has their opportunity, and I think that they – I think they had many opportunities in that. They could have put it away, and they they coughed up airball. Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay played tough, and if you weren't going to expect that Tampa Bay was going to come out and give you their best effort, then I don't know why you're playing. But, Here's the thing for me. I think that the Avalanche at the top of the rosters are a more talented team right mm-hmm. now. More physical gifts. Yeah. Like, Makar's speed, as good as Hedman is at positioning himself, as well as he uses his body, his stick, uh, controls gaps. Same thing with McDonough. Same, um, I Makar and Bowen and their speed is just... It's, it's game-changing. Their speed is... Yeah. Off and, the charts. And that's, you know, you have to say the same about McKinnon and Landis Gog up front. They're just game-breaking players. The all-star team you could create just from these two franchises. But Tampa plays better as a team. And the bottom end of the roster in Tampa is better. Um, I JT, think when you, no, JT or is better has, at playoff hockey. JT Comper has shown up in these playoffs, and and if you JT Comper is great, but you know you look at what I Corey Perry and Maroon and Paul uh, and Corey uh, Perry is bringing out his inner Brad Marchand. Corey Perry has been Corey Perry since before anyone knew who Brad Marchand was. Um. Really? See, I don't think Corey Perry was a nudge. I don't think he was a nudge early in his career. I think he developed that. His second full season, he had 108 penalty minutes in uh, 70 games. That was the beginning of a streak of five or six seasons with over 100 penalty minutes. Apparently, I wasn't watching enough Corey Perry. No, you weren't. Apparently. Um... Granted, he's on the West Coast, and I was probably asleep when their games came on TV. Oh wait, they didn't come on TV. But you look at you look at that roster, and you look at the bottom of that roster. We talked about Anthony Sorelli when we were going over this over the. And yes, I love Anthony. I shouldn't say that. I really like Anthony Sorelli's game. I'm still not a fan. I'm getting there, but he's yeah, he's a prickly personality, at least on the ice. But mm-hmm. you look at. You look at the players, you got Nick Paul, you've got Jan Ruda, um, you've got Ross Colton, uh, Patrick Maroon, Pierre Edmund Belmar. Um, you've been getting contributions from Brandon Hagel. Um, it's you've got Riley Nash who's still he's not creating much offense, but he's still getting up the ice at a good pace. He's still making smart passes uh in the offensive zone. Um You know, it's amazing that, you know, in the regular season, he had zero points in 15 games with the Winnipeg Jets, 
zero points in 10 games with the Tampa Bay Lightning after just four points with the Arizona Coyotes. Mm-hmm. He's played seven games in the uh, in the um, playoffs for for Tampa Bay and has zero points still. But he's still making an impact. He's still playing responsibly. He's making smart passes in the offensive zone. Um, so wait, grandpa of the Colorado Avalanche, and I say it, I say it with a, as a term of endearment because you played for the Detroit Red Wings. But Darren Helm has not impressed you. Darren Helm has been out hitting everybody. Darren Helm. I didn't say that Darren Helm still, didn't impress me. I said that the the back end of the Tampa Bay roster plays better playoff hockey. I will agree to a point. I mean, if you look at some of the guys like they acquired Nico Sturm for that to beef up the low, the bottom six. Yep. And he's done that. He's gotten physical. He's getting in there. He's making, I thought he scored a goal in, in game. He thought he scored a goal too. And he did too, but yes, it bounced off of whoever was standing in front of the net. I don't remember who it was. Um, but yes, he thought he scored as well. I mean, but he's been fun to watch. He's getting physical. He's getting in the dirty areas. He's getting in front of the net. He's mixing things up. That's what he's supposed to do. That's what he was brought in for. They needed something in the bottom six in in terms of a presence. I but am. Yes, I think that Tampa Bay has been. First of all, I think there's something to be said for chemistry and the fact that the players on Tampa Bay have been together. Yes, they brought in Corey Perry. Yes, they brought in Riley Nash. But that core has been together longer. They've meshed. It's not even just the core. There are 17 players on the on the bolts who have won a Stanley Cup before. And they know how to win. That's huge. In that's- the playoffs. That's effectively your entire game roster. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that tonight we're probably going to see Tampa win again. Really? I. Uh, In, at, at home, uh, it, it's hard to argue with that at, at home. Look, I picked Tampa to win in six. That's clearly not going to happen because math doesn't work that way. But I. Well, depends on what school you go to, I suppose. But. <laughs> Um, That's for a different podcast. (laughs) I I can't. um, I just can't count on this team to lose two games in a row. Yes, they did to open the series, but I think the difference in the levels of rest got in the way. Um, And, of course, Cooper's inability to make in-game adjustments. But... Now that we know what the Colorado Avalanche look like when they're playing for their for a Stanley Cup, I think that he's adequate for getting this roster into the right shape to win. You're, you're coming around on John Cooper. I never thought I'd hear the day. I, I, I said the word adequate. That's hardly a ringing endorsement. From you, for him, that is very much a ringing endorsement. <laughs> you can think that okay um <laughs> it's amazing it, it, what it, what amazes me is you think back and 
what was it, five, six years ago, Jared Bednar was – Colorado was the worst team in the league, and Bednar was worried about his job, and now here they are. Look at who they Cup drafted finals. in that time, though. Well, yeah, they did draft Kale. and But it's not even just Kale. I know. The, the teams that they – the guys that they picked up in the last five years – who are making major con- – who have made contributions. But Sackick is not just the drafting, though, but Sackick making the deals, bringing in Devontae's, bringing in – you know, it's, signing Darren Helm, bringing in getting, – getting a guy like Nico Sturm to, to, to add depth to the bottom six. It, you know, because Nico Rantanen came in in the 15 draft. Yeah. They had Tyson Yost, who I believe they traded out for someone – no, where is Tyson? Yeah, they Tyson, traded him Tyson out. Tyson Jost, they traded him out for Nico Sturm. Yeah, they traded him out and got in that in the in Nico Sturm, so they got a roster player for a roster player at a different level. Um, there's the, gro- the growth they also, that they've had, the growth that they've had in the defense, giving Jack Johnson another chance, uh, another opportunity. Justice yeah. Noonan uh, is a goaltender who played a couple of games, not many, sure, but they got contributions early on from him. Justin Barron came up, played seven games, got the goal and assist in that time. They've used the they've used their assets well, and you know if the local guy could learn half of that, <laughs> never mind. Yeah, that's um, another that's another show. So, are you sticking with your Avalanche in six? I I have to. I I I said Avalanche in six, and I think that I think the Avs take the frustration that they feel from not winning on home ice, and I think they bring bring it to an, another level tonight in Tampa. And they were able to win in Tampa. Granted, it was overtime, but. They were able to win in Tampa, so That's I think they do effort. it again. I think they do it again. Oh yes, I know. Now, now you're going to start joining all the people with the. Well, there were too many men on the ice. Yes, John. Thank you very much for letting us know that. Um, and as far speaking of locals, the Boston Bruins have done something amazing, and I wonder if it's. A, if this is wait done something amazing to get rid of yes, Sweeney they've been thinking outside the box um, I don't know if this is cause or effect when you're looking at the interview list for the head coaching position um, but it's not just the big names who are interviewing um, the most interesting candidate not necessarily the best one but the most interesting candidate mm-hmm. uh, to me uh, is Greg Cronin um Neither one, coach. neither one of us came up with him. I mean, we came up with some interesting selections on our own, but neither one of us came up with Cronin. Um, so Cronin, uh, who like, who has, who coached at Northeastern has been, who led the Colorado, uh, Avalanche's AHL affiliate to the 2022 Western conference championship. Um, he's been an assistant coach in, for the Islanders, been an assistant coach in Toronto. In fact, he was on the uh, bench for that uh, Milan Lucic, Patrice Bergeron, 
inspired rug pulling uh, from under the feet of the Toronto Maple Leafs a few years back. Uh-huh. Um, still a glorious memory. Yeah. Um, and, and decided it was time to take over. So, you know, I like I like the chops of this guy. That Dude. said, I think that this is more that the list of who they're interviewing is as much a reflection of what the franchise and the state of the farm system is. Yeah. As of who they're active, who they would actually want in the role. Because I said this last week, I'll go over it a little deeper now. When you look at how thin the Bruins prospect pool is, when you look at how poorly they've drafted, when you look at the fact that this is the, that whoever comes in is going to be the third coach for Don Sweeney, which is usually the limit uh, before, before a GM is uh, given their walking papers and wished well in their future endeavors. I think a lot of the bigger names are saying, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not interested at this time. Right now, the big, right now, the biggest name on the list is David Quinn, who is only a, a year or two, a couple of years removed from. Uh, you could make the argument that it's Joe Sacco. I mean, he's actually been a head coach before. David, well, Quinn as well, but yeah. Um, also with Colorado, and he's also a local guy. Um, yeah, Cronin is from Arlington, Mass. And went to school at Arlington Catholic. Buckingham Brown Nichols played at Colby College. Coached up at UMaine under Sean Walsh, which is a big deal. Sean Walsh is is <laughs> very highly thought of at the University of Maine, <laughs> like hockey god. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, this guy's done a lot, and, and uh, clearly thinking outside the box. But do we think that? Sweeney had anything to do with this? I suspect that this came from someone who is not the number one or number two operations person for the Boston Bruins. Yeah, I had the same feeling. But it, um, it is an it is an interesting it is an interesting thought. I mean, outside the box, I like it. And every once in a while, you wonder where a former uh, NHL player is, and. This week, I was uh, last week as we were wrapping the show up, a name came up that belongs to a player I loved during his time here, during his time in Minnesota, (laughs) if for no other reason than his willingness to persist in the face of the worst luck in the NHL at the time. Not bad luck, Chuck. No luck, Chuck. No Um, luck, Chuck. Chuck Kobasu, who had 320-goal seasons in the NHL. Uh, one with Calgary and two with Boston, and then had a couple of seasons that were um, forgettable before moving on to playing in the Swiss A-League. Uh, 40 years old, just turned so in April. Um, he is out in the desert doing real estate uh, at Remax Excalibur in Scottsdale. Um, good luck, uh, Chuck. And if I ever land out in Scottsdale, I will look you up. Uh, help me find a house. I I guess it makes sense. Like it says on his profile after, you know, 
being in the National Hockey League and moving numerous times, he understands how the process works. So it kind of makes sense, I guess, if he doesn't want to go into coaching. And it sounds like he didn't want to get into coaching. I mean, he played for Calgary. He played for Boston. He played for Minnesota. He played for Colorado. And he played for Pittsburgh. So five teams. Um, and in his non-NHL time, he played for the Pentagon Panthers of the BCHL. He played for Hockey East. He played for the Canelower Rockets, the Western Hockey League. So in that in that span, he went from BC to, well, British Columbia to Boston College and then back to Western Canada. Um, he also played for the Lowell Lock Monsters and the Wilkesbury Scranton Scranton um, Penguins as well. Um, yeah, he he got around a little bit. He did he did get a chance to make that 2002 uh, Canada U20 team where he had five goals and assists in seven games. Not too snap, uh, not too bad. And man, was that team interesting. <laughs> Um, you had Mike Camilleri, Brad Boys. Uh, you had Merrick Svatos, Alexander Frolov. Camilleri, uh, wasn't he traded like in the middle of a game? He in the middle of a game. Give and, us your jersey. Oh. And told he couldn't keep his jersey without paying like 600 bucks. Miku Koivu was on that team. Oh, no, no. This is the overall uh, scoring for that for that. Makes more sense. Steve Ott and Scotty Upshaw were both on that Canada team, though. Wow. Interesting. RJ Umberger, another guy with absolutely no luck in his career. Yeah, played a lot for Columbus, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Dustin Brown. Jason Dustin. Tessa. Lots and lots of good players in that in that uh, tournament, including um, Yuri Hoodler. Um Rick Nash also played in that tournament. Yuri Hoodler, offensively gifted, defensively non-existent. And, oh, July 11th through 15th for Boston fans, that at the Warrior Arena is where you will see the prospects. Uh, most of the stuff is starting between 10 and 10.45 a.m. Yeah, can't, um, can't. It is cold there. <laughs> it will be cold. Bring your sweatshirt. Yeah, bring a sweatshirt. I can I can suggest. Yeah, I can go with that. I don't know how cold it actually is, but yeah, bring a sweatshirt. And that's- uh, no, I got one more thing really quick. I promise I won't take but two minutes because you brought up Dustin Brown uh, tweeting out down goes Brown. And it kind of makes more sense now after game after five games than it did after one or two games. But down goes Brown tweeted out. We'll all come up with a dozen narratives because it's our job, but it's possible that the Lightning's big problem here is that for the first time in 12 series, they're not the best team. That was after the Game 2 drubbing, I believe. It's possible. And now here we are going into Game 6, so you might want to tweak the phrasing a little bit because I don't know that they're not the best team. They could still very well be. It's when all the is balance, said and done. The difference between the two teams is razor thin. Yeah. 
I don't want to. It's I a lot. Don't want to call it. I don't want to indulge in too many cliches. But it's a lot closer than games one and two made it look. Oh, absolutely. I this and the style. You know, they say. Uh, I don't want to say it, but agree. Styles make fights, and that's what we have here. The lightning are a different style of play than the than the abs, and it's made for barring game two, a really entertaining series. Yes. That being said, enjoy game six tonight. And uh, most likely game seven in a couple of days. Most likely. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is where we leave you.